Well, good morning again, Moody Church. So good to be worshiping with you this morning. And we continue in our series this morning through the book of James called Real Faith, Real Life. And last week, Pastor Ed looked at James chapter two, this idea that faith without works is dead, or as he put it, a workless faith is a worthless faith. And in chapter three, James starts a transition to one of the most practical things for every single one of us, no matter where we find ourselves today. And that is the impact that our words have on others. As we were starting to think this week of bringing up this idea of how powerful and impactful our words are, I thought what better way to do it than to hear from some of our kids at Moody Church on the importance and the power of our words. So take a look. The more somebody be mean to me, it kind of makes me lonely. It makes me frustrated when somebody is mean to me. It makes me feel like I'm too small to make a difference. When somebody's not nice to me, I feel angry and I feel red hot inside and I, my heart is beating fast and I make this big. When someone says something nice to me, I feel happy, excited, and encouraged. When somebody is nice to me, it fills up my heart. It makes me feel like um, I can do something. I can, I can make a difference in the world. It makes me ha- happy when you're when somebody nice to me. Thank you, kids, for uh, sending in your videos. And I think they say it so truly, don't they, on the importance that our words have. I think the power of words is something we're told doesn't matter as a kid, right? Like we all know the phrase, sticks and stones would hurt our bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know, well, that's a lie. That's not true. But I think sometimes we have forgotten or we don't understand the full impact and the weight that our words have on the people around us. So if you would open your Bible with me this morning to the book of James, the book of James chapter three, and we're going to start this morning in verse one, which says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, who is James talking about there when he talks about teachers? We love you, school teachers, and parents, I think, love you even now more than ever, now that they're realizing the job that you have. But when James talks about teachers here, he's not thinking of school teachers. He's thinking of those within the context of a local gathering who get up in front of God's people and teach God's word. Those who get up and speak the truth of God's word in front of others. He's saying that it should be something that they take with great caution and this greater judgment because the words that teachers use have a powerful impact on the people who listen. And just the reality is it's not that people who are pastors and speak in front of others are more important or better. But I mean, the reality is that for a 30 minute sermon, you'd normally say between four to 5,000 words today in front of thousands of people, that's a lot more of an opportunity for me to say something good or bad than most of us have. 
And so there's this caution about teachers and the way they use their words, given that it's such a regular function for them. But he doesn't just focus on teachers. He now starts to talk to the entire church body as he focuses here in on chapter 3, verse 2, where it says this, For we all stumble in many ways. And if you were here live with me, I would say, and we all said, amen, right? We know this is true. We all make many mistakes in many different ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So he's saying if you can manage your tongue, your speech, you would be perfect. And to highlight the importance of speech, he goes into and uses a few different metaphors that would have been very common in their time. So he starts in verse 3 and he says this, If we put bits into the mouth of the horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. A horse, which is a large creature, and if you just put a bit into its mouth, you could guide it. I don't know if you've ever seen before. I've seen it here in the forest preserves in Chicago area. Little kids, probably five, six, seven years old, probably weighing 50 pounds on large horses. And they're not scared. They're not terrified. Why? Because with the bit in that horse's mouth, they can control and they can guide it. Something so small that has such a large impact for such a big animal. Well, he continues in verse four, he says this, look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so back in their time, their ships would all be those with large sails, something like this. And even though the wind would be the thing that would be pushing it, it would just be the small rudder. The small rudder there in the water, which the pilot could use and would direct the ship and could make it travel basically anywhere as long as the wind was blowing. A small and maybe seemingly inconsequential part of the ship, but something that guides its entire direction. A metaphor for the tongue. He continues, verse 5. He says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. So the third illustration that he gives us here is that of, is that of fire. Fire, and you know to start a large fire, it doesn't take anything too huge. In fact, just a little flame is all it needed. And if you put this in the right place, it could expand and go for a long ways, especially in their context where they didn't have the modern technology with fire engines and all of those such things. Of course, living in Chicago, I don't need to remind you of our history that literally all it takes is one cow to kick over one lantern and we're still talking about that cow over a hundred and years, some odd years later who started the great Chicago fire. See, The first truth that we're going to look at this morning about our speech, the first truth that James has for us in this passage is that our words have great power. Our words have great power. In fact, your words may be the most powerful thing you have. Your words are one of, if not the most powerful thing you have. Think about it. Wars have been started over words. Relationships have ended. Marriages have dissolved over nothing more than words 
that are spoken. Words have great power both for good, words also have great power for destruction. James has already alluded to this idea of the importance of words. If we remember back to James chapter 1, he says this in James 1 verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Already this idea that if we speak one way, but we don't live out the truth, then our religion is ultimately worthless. It's of no value. The tongue is of extreme importance. I was struck this week by this word as I was thinking and reflecting a lot on the power of our words. In the book of Proverbs, which contains so much wisdom on this area, I was struck with this proverb, the tongue has the power of life and death. Your words have the ability to bring life or to tear down, to build up or to destroy other people. So how do our words, how can our words bring life or death? What should we be thinking about? Are, are the words we're using words of life or words of death? First, we should just ask ourselves this, que this question. Am I saying truth or falsehood? Am I telling the truth or am I someone who lies? You don't have to look hard in God's word to see scripture about this, but the book of Proverbs says this, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And for us to be people who bring life to others, we need to be people who are committed to speaking the truth. Now we love to think that we speak the truth all the time, but we love to sometimes massage the truth, don't we? But when we think about it, when we exaggerate the truth, that's a falsehood. That's a lie. A half-truth is also a lie. Intentionally leaving out part of the truth so we look better, well, that's leading people astray. And that's a lie as well. And we need to be people who are committed to the truth, the truth of God's word, yes, but to the truth about ourselves and how we communicate with others. The second question we can ask ourselves is this, are our words peaceful or are they divisive? Do our words bring peace and unity in the body of Christ or do our words separate and divide? It says in the book of Titus, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. It is sometimes almost shocking at how serious the New Testament takes those who speak divisive words. And there are certainly places in, in context in scripture where it talks about that, that you divide over certain things that we would say are gospel issues, right? So if someone comes to you with their speech and says, well, did you know that Jesus isn't God and that he didn't die on the cross and that he didn't rise from the dead? Well, that's a divisive thing that you can be like, well, listen, we're not on the same page with this. But so often we raise to the importance of gospel issues, things which simply are not. And rather than becoming closer together, we're actually allowing our speech to drive us apart. My friends, politics is not a gospel issue. It should not divide us in our speech. 
when and how we reopen the economy in the state is not a gospel issue and it should not divide us in our opinions. See, we are too often, when it comes to our words, we're too often concerned with winning the arguments. We want to be right. We want to prove our point. We don't want to hear them. We want our thoughts to be heard. We want, at least in our minds, we want to have won. But here's the thing. If you win the argument, but damage the relationship, you lose. If you win the argument, but damage the relationship, you lose. This is true online. This is true in marriage. This is true in parenting. This is true in friendship. This is true in all of life. That we should, yes, be people of the truth, but we should be people who seek unity and peace, not those who are divisive in our speech and with our opinions. Another question to ask ourselves if our words bring life or death, or are we saying words that edify or build others up, or are we speaking words that degrade or put other people down? It says this in, I believe it's in Ephesians chapter four, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This idea of speech that builds up, another more common word I think that we could use for it is, is encouragement. Encouraging words that as we communicate with others, they leave having spent time with us or in conversation with us more like Christ. Wanting to know him more and more in love with him. I think where we often, and I'll speak for myself here too, and where I often struggle the most with this is this question. Yeah, but what about if it's funny if I degrade someone else? What about if I do it for the laugh or for the joke? I remember back even when I was in high school when my youth pastor showed me this passage that kind of blew my mind away. It says in the book of Proverbs, Chapter 26, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. See, so often what we think of as humor, as sarcasm, as things that are funny are actually putting other people down. There's nothing wrong with humor. There's nothing wrong with being funny or, or laughing. Absolutely. But if we put other people down so that we can be built up in the eyes of others, that's not the kind of speech that God calls us to. He calls us to be people who are edify and encourage, never degrading others, even if we say, well, it's just a joke and they know it's only a joke. My friends, the Bible calls us to a higher standard. And we can and we need to do better. Another question to ask ourselves when it comes to this idea of do our words bring life or death is, are my words gentle or harsh? Are they gentle or are they harsh? The well-known verse in Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says this, a soft or a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I don't know about you, but I certainly have been told many times in my life, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. 
It's not what you said, Michael, but it's, it's how you said it. That wasn't kind. That wasn't gentle in what you said. These are some questions that we should be asking ourselves when it comes to thinking, is my speech filled with life or death? Because it is a powerful thing that we have. But when it comes to the power of speech, I also want to remind us of this truth as well, that the words that you have, your words are weighted. Meaning this, given the context of your relationships in certain places, your words matter even more because of the relationship that you have with other people. Many, many years ago, I received uh, a letter after I had preached a sermon and it was uh, the, the first three words. They wanted to make sure they got it to me. They were in all caps, bold, repent, 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 where they went, went through exhaustively and showed how they believed in their words that I was a false teacher preaching heresy and they believed it so much they sent it anonymously to me. No name, no return address. I have no idea who with internet access watched this video and sent this letter to me. It didn't really affect me much, A, because I disagreed with their idea of what I was preaching on, but B, because it was anonymous. Because imagine the difference though, if I would have gotten a letter and opened it telling me I was a false teacher and it was an elder at Moody Church, or it was another pastor here in Chicago, that word would have had a lot more power. Why? Because of the relationship that they have with me. See, when it comes to speaking life or death into others, I want us to think this morning, where do my words have the most power? Where do my words have the most power? And where in those relationships can I speak life into those people. For those of you who are bosses, your words often carry great power over the people who work for you. And a word of encouragement and thanks from you can go so long and can mean so much to others. I think a lot, especially in the last, what, six, seven weeks now, of family relationships and the power of our words that we have with the people closest to us, spouses, husbands, wives, your words mean a lot to each other. They are powerful. Parents, your words weigh even more. Moms, your words weigh a lot. But I think for some reason, and I don't know why this is, dads, your words weigh the most. The words of a dad, I think, are the, the heaviest words in the world. I remember I was in a counseling session once Someone was sharing something with me and I, I just affirmed the truth of what I saw in them, how God was using them, God was working in them. And I, I, I will never forget them looking at me and saying, I appreciate you saying that. I just wish my dad would tell me that someday. The words that we have are powerful. So where today in the relationships that God has given you, can you speak life where God has given you the most power in those relationships? Parents to your kids, spouses to each other. Kids, if you're watching this, I want you to speak words of life to your brothers and your sisters. You're locked at home. You haven't gotten out with your friends. So it can be hard, but speak life to them. So we should be people who are speaking life because our words matter so much. 
Well, James continues and he says this in verse six. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our, mem- our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and of bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. What he's saying here is that it's not that we've domesticated every animal, but we don't live in fear of nature. We don't live in fear that it will come in and ruin our lives, but our speech is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our speech is something we have not controlled that can literally ruin our lives. I mean, literally, if you think about it, the things that I say this morning could ruin my career. It could ruin it because words have power and we cannot fully control them. He continues, with our words, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is one of the strongest contrasts that James can imagine. We bless God and we curse. This isn't what we would think of as swearing, but it's literally praying to God that someone would be separated from him for eternity. That's what a curse was for them. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. See, the second lesson that this passage teaches us on our words is this. It's that our words show our great need. Our words show our great need. See, this is something when it comes to honoring God with our speech that we cannot do on our own. I loved Pastor Ed's illustration last week of talking about this idea of faith and works playing out when he used the drill, right? And there was the battery in the drill that unless that battery is there, we cannot live our lives how God would want us to live. When it comes to the area of our words, of our speech, this is not something we can control on our own. And it reminds us of how much we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to transform us each and every day, to honor him more and more with our speech. What would it look like to rely more on the Holy Spirit when it comes to the area of our speech? First off, we need to pray more about the words that we use. What if we woke up this morning and prayed, God, I give my mouth, my tongue to you today. Would the things that come out of it be those that speak life, to my family, my roommates, my coworkers today, not death. We need to be quick to confess when we fall short here. We need to be quick to confess that we don't have it all together. And in fact, we do need God's help. And as we read this morning from the book of James chapter one, we need to be quicker to listen and slow to speak, to allow God's spirit to work in our hearts. My hope isn't that you leave here this morning thinking, well, I need to try harder to say nice things. But man, I need God's help because without him, I can't do this on my own. That it's God who is the one who can stir within us those words that would actually bring life to others that wouldn't bring death. James wraps up this section on speech by asking this question, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water, a spring which would have been extremely valuable in their time, in their culture, in their setting? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives 
or a grapevine produce figs? The obvious answer for all of these is no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. See, the third lesson that this passage teaches us on our words is that words reveal our hearts. Words reveal our hearts. Have you ever said something and wondered to yourself after you said it, man, where did that come from? Well, there's a scary answer to that question. It came from your heart. See, your words only are an outward appearance of what actually is going on inside of us. Our greatest need as people is not to speak better. It's not to be more kind, to be more gracious. Those are good things, but that's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is that our hearts would be transformed. Because as we think of the words that come out of our mouth, we realize, man, that comes from within me. Jesus talked about this idea of our words revealing who we really are, our hearts. In the Gospel of Luke, he says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This last phrase is so powerful. It's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouths are actually speaking. When we think of our speech, it shows how much we need a savior. When we think of the words we use, it shows us how much sin we are actually in. And it's not just the acts of sin, but it reminds us of the sin that's so deep within our very hearts. What we need is not something like Ralphie from A Christmas Story to stick a bar of soap in our mouth, to try and clean up our words, to teach us a lesson that we shouldn't say things like that again. But our greatest need isn't to clean our mouths. Our greatest need is for Christ to clean our hearts. And as we think of the power that our words have, things that we say, it shows us our desperate need for Jesus. You can get your speech under control somewhat, but it still doesn't save you because it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth is speaking. And only Jesus can transform our hearts. We are now in, I don't know, I'm losing track of the days, week six, seven, seems like forever of, of home, stay at home, quarantine, where our lives are different. It's easy now to be frustrated, to be short with people, to be quick to angry, to want to express our opinions, Friends, I just want to remind you today, your words have power. They have power to speak life or power to speak death towards others. May the words that we use today, the words that we use this week, be those that honor God, be those that speak life into the people around us. God, we do thank you that you have come and only you 
can transform our hearts. And when we think of the things that come out of our mouths, we realize the sin that is so deep within us. And it drives us to our need for you. So we do ask that you would be honored and glorified in all of our lives, and especially this week in our words. God, may you work in us so that the words we use would more and more reflect you and bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.